I want to welcome you to our session that we're going to do on the importance of uh, brotherhood and plurality within the context of church planting. Uh, my name is Ben, and um, this is Joe. And what I want to do is just kind of give you a little bit of the context that we are planting in, and then Joe's going to give you a little of the context that he's planting in, and then we're just going to walk through kind of uh, biblically what it is and why it's important for us um, to engage in brotherhood and plurality as we're planting, and then we're also going to talk about like what are the practical steps that we can kind of take home today to be able to implement wherever we're at in that uh, process. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you, Lord, um, that you are the one that builds your church. Um, We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be stewards of this process, and at the same time, that you are the one, by your power and the Spirit working in us, that saves people, that calls people to yourself, and that allows our churches to have not only a gospel presence in their cities and communities, but uses our local church, the local church, to move the gospel forward. And so we ask that um, as we engage in the topic this afternoon, that uh, we would be encouraged but more importantly, that you would be glorified and your church would be strengthened, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. So uh, the context for me is that we're planting in Michigan in a rural context. Uh, is there anybody here from North Dakota? Okay, a couple of you. Um, so I pastored for a few years in Devil's Lake before we moved to Michigan and um, kind of was familiar a bit with that rural context. But to give you an idea, our city is about 10,000 people, and on one side we have uh, farms, and on the other side we have the suburbs of Metro Detroit kind of lapsing into our city. And we live in this kind of Midwestern context, right, where church is viewed as a good thing, but it's also viewed as something that's benign. And there's almost this inoculation of the gospel. And it's in the midst of that, um, that church planting for us has been just, I think the best words to use is like arduous, um, is hard and is calling us to this place of really being patient and being present. And um, I am a solo planter. I parachuted in. It's not the way to church plant necessarily. (laughs) As one who's doing it, has done it. Probably the hardest way to church plant. But that's kind of the context um, that we're in. I'm going to let Joe share a bit of his context um, that he's in, and then we'll kind of move forward from there. So our context is in a community. Our our city is about 2,600 people. And then uh, our zip code area of about 63 square miles is about 22,000 people. Um, And so um, for Michigan and and where we're at, about an hour north of where uh, Ben is, it's a pretty spread out area. And when we began, we started with uh, my wife and I and another uh, family. It was really co-planting. 
And uh, through just some uh, crazy series of events health-wise for our co-planter, he ended up out in California getting a heart and liver transplant. And so we went from co-planting to solo planting. And uh, we were a, um, a very young church. Uh, we um, had a lot of uh, new believers or not yet believers. And so when uh, the co-planter left, there wasn't anyone to step in and really take that weight of responsibility that he had at that time. And, and at the same point in time, we're sitting there watching other versions of Christian religion kind of take off, uh, non-gospel-centered uh, types of, of uh, works taking off. And so there's this weird pressure of like increased responsibility going from co-planting to solo planting and, and seeing this happen where all of a sudden you, you start to feel like, okay, I'm getting knocked sideways. How do I fill that gap of plurality? How do I communicate with a young church that we're not we're not closing, even though this is really tough right now. And, and we started to feel that need within a, a brotherhood for myself and for the health of our church that really applies Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And when you're by yourself, you can begin to forget that. And you can begin to feel like you're going to waver. And then let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, recognizing that we need others to speak into our lives to actually stir us up as we're solo planting. Uh, For those of us that have done that and felt alone in that work, not neglecting to meet together. And so we're going to talk about some of the practical aspects of actually spending time with other church planters in order to encourage one another in that process um, and to encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near and just recognizing that the work that we're doing, even as it can feel so overwhelming, there is a deep urgency to it. So, so we want to give special consideration to how can we help one another in this process of getting churches planted, even though, as Ben said, it can become so incredibly arduous uh, and, and can really take a long time in some context. So uh, I'll turn that back over to Ben to really begin working through some of the underlying, uh, underlying importance of brotherhood and plurality. Um, so during this session, if you have a thought or a question um, that you'd like to ask, feel free to raise your hand. We can stop and we'll kind of address that. At the same time, we've uh, placed a bit of time at the end of the session to do a Q&A as well. And so we want you to be asking your questions that arise out of this because we understand that um, our culture and our context of church planting, although it may be similar to yours, is not exactly the same or uh, may not be the same as the context you're looking to plant in. Um, so, so, so for us, uh, solo church planting has been, or for me, really has, has been this space where I clearly began to recognize, uh, even though I didn't always want to, both my strengths and my weaknesses, um, both as a pastor and my strengths and weaknesses in terms of ministry tra- tasks and what comes natural, what comes easy, and what really takes a lot of energy and a lot of time um, to make happen. And, and the good news, right, for us and for our wives and for our kids is that um, we are not called to be the answer of the church. 
right? And, and so the weight of making everything perfect doesn't fall on our shoulders. We're, we're called to be stewards um, it, and, and called to be shepherds within the body, within the local context, the church that we are a part of. And, and Romans twelve three through 8 reminds us of that, that the fact that um, God has given the local church different gifts. He's given people with different giftings, different backgrounds, different personalities. If my church uh, was made up of everybody with the same personality as me, you would not want to be anywhere near it. It would drive you insane. Just, this dude's intense. Um, but, but by God's grace, that's not the case. And, and so what the importance of brotherhood and plurality really begins to show up and began to show up in my own church plant, in our church plant at Anchor, because I began to realize more clearly that, A, I didn't have every gift and every um, skill set that my church plant needed. And, and secondly, um, I didn't have, because we parachuted in, I didn't have, I wasn't gifted uh, a, another guy or another couple guys who were elder caliber guys ready to step in and bear the, the, the burden, shoulder the shepherding uh, needs of the church as well as shoulder the brotherhood calling me to repentance process that needs to be a culture within our elders, within our, within our local church as, as elders. And so during this season, um, Joe and I kind of slipped into, in a sense, or at least from my end, I would say that like, it wasn't like I I didn't come to Joe and go, Hey man, like this is the issue and this is a solution and we're going to do this. We really kind of slipped into by God's grace, this relationship where we were able to begin to practice this kind of brotherhood, practice plurality of eldership during this season in our churches where we um, have not yet raised up, um, we're raising up, but have not finished raising up lay elders within our, or, or, or elders within our congregation, local elders, to fill this role that's needed. And so um, what I'm going to do is kind of hit four different points here about the specific kind of the fruit of brotherhood f- firsthand for, for Joe and I. Um, one is, uh, that we're going to look at is if you believe in plurality, this is the best way as a solo pastor to practice this until you've raised up elders in your church. And the second thing we're going to look at is, and I'll, you don't have to write this down, I'll kind of come back to them. Um, it allows us to not lay hands on local elders too quickly. Um, the third thing is that it allows us to resource gifting better. And then finally, we're able to practice what it means in Galatians 6 to bear each other's burdens better because we know each other's struggles. So let's just take a moment to deal with um, the first point. Uh, it allows us to not lay hands on elders too quickly. So one of the challenges for us uh, when we're planting, especially if we're planting uh, by ourselves um, or you're in a context like myself where a majority of the people in our church um, don't know Jesus or they are first generation new believers, um, is that we as pastors need to be patient in raising up men to become elders without too quickly laying our hands on them and giving them that responsibility. And what um, the relationship and the brotherhood that Joe and I have been able to kind of 
create and to slip into really allows us to fill that gap of need that a local elder is called to provide amongst the elder board to fill that gap and need through another guy who's only an hour away who is also planting and we're able to begin to fill that need together. Now, at the same time, I would say that the need that, that, is, that is filled there and allowing us not to lay on hands too quickly um, of elders that we're raising up is a need that is not filled by, or nor should it be filled by your transitional elder board. Your transitional elder board is is literally a transitional elder board that is supposed to fill the gap and the needs more of a business sense, more of a kind of make sure the vision is taking place to, to, to keep you in the space that you need to be in. But what we're talking about here is um, a space where you're engaged in each other's lives, where you're calling each other out on the sin, knowing what the struggles are. And, and honestly, a transitional elder team doesn't have the time to do that. Um, and so that's where this space um, allows us to, to, to hit that. And then the second piece is that it allows us to resource gifting better. So one of the blessings for us is that Joe's giftings and, le- Joe's giftings and skills that are pretty different than mine. And, and so um, as we are beginning our membership process as a church, um, and, you know, bring our covenant members in. Joe has been this huge resource where um, he's a guy who is an introvert who loves to not be with people. He's energized by that. Um, he goes into his basement and he turns his phone off into his like his office. Literally has no it has books everywhere and no, and, and no window. And, and this is where he thrives. And, and he rolled out just this this theologically rich and um, clear vision for membership, what covenant membership looks like, and and how to walk people through that. And and so I've been able to come along, and and he's given me that resource, and then I'm a guy who kind of comes along, and and I revamp things, and that's what I like to do. And and so I'm able to take that and that gift that he has and and revamp and, and really use this work that he's put in for anchor in a time frame in which it saved me ridiculous amounts of hours if I were to have to create that on my own. And so there's a, that, that's a space where we're able to resource uh, gifting better. You know, we, we, we are able to provide mutual coaching. Uh, we're able to share our resources together. So as two smaller churches, we're able to do things together in a more impactful way um, that we wouldn't be able to do if we kind of just did things within our own church context. Uh, the third thing that we've seen kind of God's um, hand in and just the generousness of practicing uh, brotherhood is that we're able to bear each other's uh, struggles or burdens better because we know each other's struggles. And Joe's going to expand on this a bit more. But when we come to Galatians chapter 6, uh, Paul is speaking to the church there, and he says those who are spiritual, and he's speaking not about kind of elite Christians, which don't exist. What he's speaking about is those who are walking in the Spirit, who are empowered by the Spirit. He, he, he calls those who are spiritual, they should um, come to the brother who is caught in sin and restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And there's two, two things happening, right? There's um, restorativeness that's taking place, and it's taking place in the context of uh, gentleness. 
And then he, he, he goes further down and says, Keep watching yourself, lest you be tempted. Verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so one of the key things for us is not only to bear each other's burdens, but to be able to do it in a way that you can only do when you understand and know the other person's struggles, both when they're willing to share it and when they're not willing to share it. And that's been really important for us because there's times when we get together where there's questions that need to be asked of me that I don't want Joe to ask that need to be asked that somebody else who isn't as engaged in my life wouldn't ask. But Joe, because he's engaged in my life and he sees the patterns in my life, he's coming and he's asking these questions and they need to be asked. And and that brotherhood that's been created, which really the local elders are called to do, I'm able to enjoy the fruit of that, even though I don't have a local elder who is able to do that because I've got a guy who's engaged in my life, who knows what's going on, who sees the towels in my life. If I'm engaging in or finding myself being tempted towards the sin that I'm tempted towards and and, and to speak in and to, to, to bear my burden in that way by gently calling me to repentance, calling me to, um, uh, identifying and repenting of uh, my sin. And then finally, and this actually should have been the first point, is that if you believe in plurality, and and that's something um, that's pretty important for us, if you believe in plurality, this is the best way as a solo pastor to practice it until you've raised up elders in your church. And, And we see Acts 14, verse 23 that calls us, right, to appoint elders, not one elder, but multiple elders. And so we see the importance of plurality in Acts, and we understand that um, plurality is key for us if we are to humbly shepherd and lead our churches. And in that space, when we're solo church planters, or in that space where you are pastoring a church, but you're um, the only guy who is serving as a pastor or as an elder of that church, it is super important for us to be engaged in relationships, being engaged in brotherhood, where we're actually practicing what we're preaching when we talk about the fact that we are equal at the foot of the cross, when we talk about the fact um, that... Um, as elders, we're called to plurality where we submit to each other. And this relationship, the brotherhood element that we've been practicing, really fills that role for us during this season in a really important um, way. So I'm going to let Joe kind of jump back in. So I just want to develop a little bit more on that uh, issue of plurality. So for those of you that may end up or have currently planted as a solo planter, uh, you face not only um, the biblical call to plurality and the the necessity of having people that can speak into your life and speak wisdom into the process of church planting, but you also face the the legal requirements of forming a 501c3. And and I know um, just having gone through that process uh, recently, uh, the necessity of having 
having four board members and at least three that are not paid by the organization. And so as you're thinking through that, you recognize that like, for, for our situation, Ben and I serve on each other's um, transitional elder boards, but we also have two other guys from another church that are serving on our boards. And those guys don't necessarily have the time uh, to uh, just get to know exactly what's going on in the context of our church, but they help us from an organizational standpoint. But we both recognize the need to have other people that are in similar positions that can look into our lives and, and what's going on in our marriages, what's going on in the temptations that we have as we're succeeding uh, with church planting or as we're failing with church planting that can begin to, as Ben was talking about, ask those questions. And so there are multiple reasons why both plurality is necessary, but so is that the, the, the elements of brotherhood, of actually we're together theologically, we are together from the standpoint of our, our vision to some degree, we are together in the fact that we want to see more churches planted by our churches. And so there's a, a bringing together of, of agreement and alignment from those very important standpoints that helps to bolster the church planting process by helping us be healthy, faithful men. And if you don't, and if I don't have someone that can speak in on that level, that maybe some of my transitional elders can't do, if I don't have somebody speaking in on that level, my heart is deceptive and is going to lead me away. I, I may wildly succeed, but what's going to end up happening is that I'm going to think that I'm, I'm an amazing human being. Uh, just, just a few minutes ago when Noel asked us, what is the thing right now that, that you are struggling with thinking is bigger than Jesus? And, and it just like hit me, me. Like that's the thing. And, and I have to repent of that. But, but we have that happen at various times in our lives where we just think that we're like God's gift to God. And so we need others who can speak into our lives and help us perceive um, that that has become a sin and help us to repent of that. But we want to give you guys um, just some, some practical thoughts, both if you're from the standpoint of if you're by yourself and you don't have an elder board uh, that's locally with you, that you have men that are doing this uh, close to you, or maybe you're, you're existing, you're a few years down the road and you have an elder board around you. Um, and, and so what does it look like for you as an Acts 29 church planter to participate in this for the sake of seeing more churches planted. And so again, as we walk through some of these a uh, little bit more practical elements, um, feel free to just, if you've got a question or, or something that you want to uh, chase down in this discussion, just um, shout it out and we'll, uh, we'll look at that. But one of the things that as, as I've been talking with uh, different churches that are um, either not just being planted, but are being revitalized, replanted or existing churches that are coming into Acts 29, I'm noticing a cultural shift in the type of guy who is an Acts 29 church planter. We came into the network about five years ago. And, and at that point, and then looking back 10, 15 years, the type of guy that was in Acts 29 is this highly driven, highly entrepreneurial Typically, I know that there were a couple of exceptions, but, but I remember getting around these types of guys and the level of intensity coming off of them, like they weren't even doing anything. It was just like reverberating from their persona. And, and, and I felt like, wow, I could never be that guy because I just don't have that level of intensity. But what I've watched over the last five years with 
existing churches coming in and these replants and revitalizations, that 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 type of personality isn't necessarily what's typical. That there's there's just a, a, a more diverse type of personality among the guys who are pastoring. And so if you think about an existing church, uh, I served as uh, on staff at a church. And, and one of the things uh, that was just part of the culture there, and this is part of uh, being a pastor of an existing church, is that oftentimes ministry comes to you. Because there are people that are there that are already looking to you. And so your inbox is filling up even if you don't do anything. Your, you, your voicemails are filling up. Your text messages are, are going off telling you like, hey, there's, there are people that you need to be talking to. And, and if you are parachute planting into a location, the only way you get an email in your inbox is junk mail or if you email someone and they respond to you. The, the only way that you get a call back is if you make a phone call. Like, nobody cares or is thinking about the fact that you are in that town until you begin to cast your vision and plant the church. And, and so we just recognize sometimes as a guy coming in, uh, and this, is, this becomes even, even more, uh, I think, typical for an existing church of a small, uh, an existing pastor of a small church where the, the need to feel just drivenness, it's just not there in the culture. I, I, was, I served within a small church. Our church currently is small. And, and you can, there's just sort of a, a patient, slower settledness to that culture. That's not a bad thing. That's just the nature of some of the, the cultural difference of an existing church and then sometimes an existing church that is small. And so a guy can... I, I, I got a phone call. Actually, I, I called a guy... And I was just talking to him. He was, he was new into Acts 29. And I, I was asking him, you know, how are you doing? And, and what's going on there? And he said, you know, I, I just have felt really like disenfranchised with Acts 29. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's not good. Like what's, what's going on? Why did this happen? And he said, well, I, I heard about this amazing brotherhood in Acts 29, but nobody called me. And I was like, well, nobody called me. I just called people. I was emailing everybody and driving places and doing. And then as we got to talking about it, I was like, oh, well, that's not his personality. And that's not the personality of the pastor that's necessary for his congregation right now. His personality is what's necessary for his church. And, and so we ended up having this very fruitful conversation about just the, what his expectations were of people reaching out to him. And so we just need to recognize, like, our network is changing in some of those respects as we're seeing more existing churches coming in. And, and I've had that conversation several times over the last, it's been about three years. And so as we see some of that change, uh, and, and then we also see that there is a, a difference in what's needed personality-wise with a rural or, or in, even in some cases in the urban poor church planter where it's no longer entrepreneurial aptitude that is the most important element, but stick The guy who's going to have a dogged perseverance that he is simply going to stay. He may not be innovative, and, and maybe that's not what's needed most. It's just needed that he's going to put roots down and he's going to stand there until he eventually builds trust and he begins to, to get to know people that do not want to be known and have no interest in knowing him.
And, and oftentimes the guy that's willing to just stand there is going to, in fact, just stand there and can feel very much on his own. And some of you may be that kind of, of person. And so I want to think through um, as this cultural shift is taking place within Acts 29 right now, as far as what is the personality type of the guy who is an Acts 29 pastor and church planter, we, we still recognize that brotherhood in Acts 29 has been a pillar to getting churches planted. And so how can we think through and intentionally make sure that that is perpetuated even as the cultural personality of the guys planting the church shifts and changes? And so just some practical steps that we can walk through. First, and and, and these may be totally obvious to you, but sometimes I think that the most obvious things are the things that need to be said. Um, First, that we need to intentionally connect with other Acts 29 church planters. And so I'm just going to tell you this. If, if you're a guy who is, you're the stick to put your roots down and stand there and be patient guy, I praise God for you. And you also have access to email. And so <laughs> send an email to other Acts 29 pastors and just say, hey, can we get a 30-minute phone call? I just like to hear what's going on for you and just kind of tell you what's going on with me. Maybe it needs to be 45 minutes. I don't know. But, but get it on the calendar. Actually make that happen. And for those of you who have churches that maybe you planted and they're established or, or you came in and you have a plurality of elders there, there is an opportunity for you to minister to your brothers who are planting churches so that you can actually engage in the work of church planting right now from where you're at. And, 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 and reach out to... And one of, the, one of the great ways to do this is actually, you know, find out, like, who's coming down the pipeline through the assessment process. Who are our candidates? And one of the things that I will do on occasion is just jump on the website, and you can select to turn on to view the candidate churches. And I'll just do a search around to see, like, who's popping up now. And, and I can see who is maybe a new candidate uh, along the way and, and looking for those opportunities to uh, reach out to those guys and just say, how are you doing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so if you didn't hear that, the comment was that um, we don't have to feel like we are the expert in order to reach out to someone else. And, and that is crucially important because one of the great elements of the brotherhood of Acts 29 is the fact that we are able to, because of our theological alignment, particularly of gospel-centeredness and the sovereignty of God working in our lives, we are able to not come together as experts, but come together as brothers who are looking forward to the King and help one another move in that direction. 
And, and that's one of the crucial, I think that is the crucial element of brotherhood that differentiates it from coaching. But I think that's, that's very important to re- recognize, and we'll circle back to that a little bit in just a moment. Um, and, and so one of the, what, what I've done with, with Ben and with uh, different guys is that as we are intentionally um, connecting with uh, other Acts 29 uh, planters, um, we are establishing a regular pattern of meeting. And this last part is crucial, more than once a month. And so one of the other guys, so I'll just start with where Ben and I are. We meet about every other week. And our meeting, because we are on each other's elder boards as well, is gonna, it's going to last longer. So we're aiming at about two hours. It's usually on a Wednesday morning. We just meet at a halfway point. We'll talk through what's going on at our churches, going on with each other. And uh, then we will pray for uh, whatever has come up in our conversation. But uh, there's another guy uh, that I'm working with just to encourage him and and help him along. And we do one 30-minute phone call each week. It's on a Thursday afternoon. It's right in the middle of my four-hour sermon prep block. It is perfect. I will uh, get on the phone with him. I will light my pipe, get a cup of coffee, and go for a walk away from sermon prep. It's a great break for me. We're able to engage with one another. And then when I get off the phone, I come back and sit down and continue on with, uh, with sermon prep, uh, refreshed oftentimes from the conversation that I have with him. But it, here's what can happen. If you are attempting to establish brotherhood and, and encouragement with another church planner, you could have a conversation one month where he is praising God or you're praising God for having planted you in your context. And the next phone call, you're talking about whether or not you should sell your house and move to Chicago to sell shoes. Like that, that swing can happen in a one month period so easily as you face the, just the opposition of the enemy in church planting. And so in order to foster brotherhood intentionally, it needs to happen regularly. But we also want to be wise about that, right? Like if, if you're thinking about your elder team and you put, you're, you're putting together that elder team, alignment matters. Uh, alignment in terms of philosophy of ministry, that matters. Uh, alignment on DNA of the church, that matters. And uh, I remember, uh, this is probably... F- four, four and a half years ago, uh, I was just, I really wanted a guy that was older than me, that, that was, you know, 20 to 30 years older than me that I could just listen to that had been in the ministry longer. And so I just started reaching out to, to different guys. And, and one of them, we, we aligned theologically, but his philosophy of ministry was radically different than mine. And we came to a point where we just recognized like either my philosophy was going to change, his was going to change, or we would just this would not be the greatest working relationship. And we just used some wisdom there that, that we, even though we could pray for each other, that wasn't going to be the place of, of real brotherhood. And then by God's grace, he provided actually another pastor through Acts 29 who we aligned much more closely. We had that theological alignment and, and, and he was able to encourage along the way. But just use wisdom in, in even who it is that you end up uh, working with in this process. Uh, Ben already talked about uh, the practical element of serving on each other's transitional elder boards. If you're a solo church planner, you need that. Uh, You need the presence of elders uh, that are working alongside you. And so asking some of these guys that you may um, already be working with or maybe developing some of these relationships, ask them to be on your transitional elder board. It 
makes sense and it's a wise use of your time. But as you are actually spending time together, there are a few elements that we need to commit to. And I think that without these elements, I think I've got like four elements here. Without these elements, we're not going to actually see brotherhood fostered. I think that that we need to commit to recognizing that as we have various giftedness, that we commit to mutual coaching. Because even though, as, as, as we've noted, that we may not be experts, God has gifted us. And, and we need, I need input from Ben. I'm not a highly relational guy on, on any level. No one would ever accuse me of that. Ben is. And I've learned massively from watching him engage with people and just learning some very practical social skills. And that's helped me massively, even in my current process of targeting 45 and older in Clio with the gospel and casting the vision of the local church. I'm applying much of what I've learned from him relationally in those conversations. And so just needing that mutual coaching, being, be willing to be taught in this. This is not just a one-way sort of street where you're going out and trying to be the guru for someone else. But this is a brotherhood linking arms together moving forward. Secondly, we need to commit to asking questions about each other's lives that are formed by knowing each other over time. The fruitfulness of brotherhood grows with time. Your first conversation and your conversation two years from now, it's going to look vastly different. We just recognize that. But sometimes I think we forget that. We're like, ah, this wasn't as helpful as I think. Give it some time. But also recognize that as you're talking with each other, you know the temptations that you have faced as a church planter. Your brother is going to face many of those similar temptations. You need to ask him, Where are you at? I was tempted in this way at this point. Where are you at with that right now? Are you tempted in this way? How are you navigating your own pride in this situation? How are you navigating your despair? How are you navigating the fact that sometimes you are far more concerned about someone else's opinion than how God thinks of you as a justified son in Christ? And so ask those questions. Be willing to practice practical divinity. It's something that we have lost, that the Puritans gifted us with. The ability to actually dig down into each other's lives. And, and in order to do that, we have to recognize that we, of all people, we, in this room, within Acts 29, have been gifted with gospel centrality that gives us the ability to have gospel-formed transparency and vulnerability in our lives. That if we are unwilling to say, I'm going to be open with who I am in my marriage, in the temptations in my ministry, when I am alone and in my thoughts, if we're unwilling to go there, we can't have real brotherhood. It, it will be some sort of companionship, but it will not be a brotherhood in Christ. But because of the fact that you and I have been equally justified by Christ in the work that He has done, that we can then open our lives to be vulnerable appropriately with one another, confessing sin and letting our brothers speak into our lives. And it, it's so necessary to do that. But at the same time, 
ask those questions that you know need to be asked of you. Ask those of your brother. And then when they ask those questions of you, answer those based on who you are in Christ. In the fact that you can open up and speak about the way that you spoke to your wife or the way that you spoke to your kids and know that, there's, that there are issues there that, that your brother may help lead you into repentance by helping to bear those burdens with you. And then finally, uh, the fourth element that needs to be committed to as we intentionally foster brotherhood is prayer. We are men who stand up and talk when we preach. We sit down and talk when we counsel. We are talkers. And oftentimes we can think that we can just talk ourselves through situations. And, and the reality is, is, is that our talking is not the best thing that can happen to any given situation. It is actually the work of God by the power of His Spirit with His Word that is the best thing that can happen to any given situation. And so we need to be praying that He would work by the power of His Spirit with His Word in, in the different uh, areas and issues that we are working through. Because we are shepherds under the chief shepherd, we must call out to the chief shepherd. As we tend His flock, we go to Him because our brotherhood was built around His bloody cross. And it is moving toward a glorious hope that is with Him. And so we have to remember that our brotherhood ultimately is built around our big brother, Jesus. And as we go back to that over and over, that is the place that we are truly able to help one another, encourage one another, help one another stand firm in the confession of the faith as we move forward seeing more churches planted. And so I just, I, I want to take, if you guys have thoughts or feedback on this that we can talk through with our last, I think we've got just um, uh, 15, 20 minutes. I'm not exactly sure what our timeline is on that uh, left here. Um, if you guys have uh, thoughts or questions. Young, two, two something? Okay, I have the sun shining in my eyes, so thanks, man. <laughs> so, yeah, thoughts or questions from you guys? Yeah, go ahead. So uh, just if, to make sure I understand your question, if you have maybe pastors who you already have a relationship with that are closer to you, but not, they're not Acts 29, what is the pursuing those relationships over maybe more distant Acts 29 relationships? What's the wisdom between those two? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, um, 
what I appreciate about Joe with what he just shared with you guys and what's really, really important, the non-negotiable element in that process of pursuing a relationship is got to be gospel centrality. And without gospel centrality, we don't have gospel transparency. And without gospel transparency, we don't have the brotherhood that we're talking about here. And so I would say that, hey, if you've got in your community, so I'm in a small town, um, being a part of the local ministerial is key for me, mostly so they don't think I'm a crazy lunatic. That's why I show up. Um, but that brotherhood that I have there um, will never be in a space that Joe and I share because we're working with uh, people who predominantly don't have this gospel centrality theological framework driving them. Um, and the key for us is that we're able to engage in brotherhood where we have gospel transparency. And so I would say that, hey, um, if you've got guys locally who um, get gospel um, centrality, but maybe philosophically it looks a little different, I'm totally cool with engaging in that relationship. At the same time, if you've got guys who maybe even are theologically aligned with you, okay, but they are not gospel-centered, because that actually, I grew up in that context a bit, um, that exists. Um, I'm just, I'm going to be engaged with them at a level that's beneficial for our city and for the gospel, but I'm not going to be engaged with them at the level that is um, what we're talking about and what I need. Because what I need is for Joe not only to call me out on my sin, but then to remind me that in Christ, in Christ's perfect redemptive work on the Christ, in Christ's obedience, I am accepted. And that's what leads me to the space of repentance. And if I'm not gospel-centered, there's a danger that I'm going to call people out on their sin and then lead them to a place where now they have to carry the burden of their shame and prove how serious they are about their love for Jesus by carrying that shame as long as possible and allowing that shame to drive them to obedience. And that's a very different concept. And so that's where the gospel centrality, which leads to gospel transparency, is so key. And why for me and for us, that's non-negotiable. And the beauty of Acts 29, right, is that um, you've been through the process, through the ringers of making sure that you're gospel-centered. And, and so you kind of don't have to feel out the waters to figure out, hey, is this guy gospel-centered or not? But if you find a guy who's gospel-centered, is not Acts 20, is not Acts 29, but in your local context, yeah, lean into that and, and engage with that. Does that help? Yeah, so if you didn't hear the question, the question is, are, are there particular goals that we're aiming at before we move out of the transitional elder phase of planting the church? And I, would, I think that the commitment to one another is until we have local plurality. And so we are regularly and continually working to um, disciple and raise up men within the church. Uh, we have guys that we have I- either we have identified that we have uh, begun to talk with or men that have come to us and said that they have a willingness. Um, and, and one of the things, though, that I think that we just recognize is that um, 
these guys are at least probably three years out through a training and discipleship, some of them longer than that. Uh, so we are, the expectation is that we will probably have some form of transitional elder board at least for the next three years. And for us, we're three years in. Uh, so the end of that process for some of these guys from becoming believers to becoming elders is about six years. Uh, as far, I mean, that's just our context. I'm not giving that as a number of what you should aim at. That's just us. And so for us, it will be at least six years of having had a transitional elder board. Um, but we do, along the way, um, we have really sought to bring, I, I've been trying to bring in these other guys so that the church is at least familiar with some of those, um, but just recognize that they're going to be around for, for a little while. Let me just add to that for a moment, too, to say if you are not practicing gospel transparency in your community groups, in your preaching, in your shepherding, in your leading, and it only shows up in your eldership, you've got a pretty big issue. got to deal with that, okay? And, and so when, when we talk about the need for brotherhood, um, at the same time as, as I was here, here earlier today um, listening, I got three texts from my community group kind of checking in on me because in community group last week, I was just like, hey, I'm going to be away for a week. And so, um, you know, I'm going to make sure that, I, you know, I just want to like, like let you guys know, be praying for my purity, be praying for my just level of exhaustion because I had some other stuff that I had to do earlier in the week, traveling stuff. Um, be praying for those things for me. And so they're checking in on me and asking questions as well. And so we're not just pursuing gospel transparency at this level, but um, we're also saying that um, there's a role, a specific role as a fellow elder that um, Joe is called to in my life, that I'm called to in Joe's life, that my community group does not um, function in. But that DNA of gospel centrality that leads me to gospel transparency, I'm constantly working on making sure that that's a DNA, that's a core concept that's showing up in my community groups, um, in our uh, preaching, in, in the shepherding, in the discipleship that's taking place. We actually work, so just really quick, we actually work to use the relationship that we have here to teach that to the church of what the expectations of uh, what does it look like for uh, the gospel to allow those who are going to be elders of the church to be vulnerable in repenting of sin? And so uh, here, uh, several months back, um, pride in my life got to a particular place that we recognized that it was impacting the local church. And so we actually brought Ben. He came in on a Sunday to help walk the church through a process of me confessing and repenting to the local church to help because that is what had been fostered in our relationship and needed to happen within the church. And so then that provided an opportunity to really teach this, what we're talking about with this gospel transparency and instructing a, a very young church and what does that need to look like uh, so, so that this relationship can actually function to help um, in, in the context of teaching your church as well. Any other questions?
Yeah, so this, uh, if you didn't hear the question, what is the role that if someone, uh, if you're in a church and you have a solo church plant and you've got guys that are coming along, being raised up in the process, what role can they play to help foster this and, and, and uh, work toward this brotherhood within the church from those guys? And so I can answer you from my context. I don't, I'm not familiar with your context, but within, within our context, um, it has been, as, uh, as I've identified uh, a few guys, through that eldership process, um, to uh, really seek to uh, be held accountable from Ben to open my life in in some ways that are honestly somewhat uncomfortable for me to those guys um, and then ask them to speak into it. And sometimes that is even included um, then teaching them how to speak in um, because sometimes it can be very easy uh, for someone who's uh, passionate about some particular element of doctrine or something to just kind of hammer on that and really, um, really attack. And so, okay, now we need to teach how to love in this. So it's kind of a, it can be a complex situation depending on the culture of the church, but that's just where we're at uh, with younger guys and really helping to teach them how to do that so that once they're at, within um, the, the place of, of being an elder, that there's already, they've learned that DNA, they've learned what those expectations of both um, gently and patiently working with one another, basing it on who we are in Christ, but then boldly speaking about uh, issues that we need to see changed. And so it's, it, that's how it's worked out for us. I don't know if you've got more there. Um, do you have a follow-up to that? or Okay. So I would say um, to add to that, we're assuming there that your pastor um, embraces plurality of eldership. If your pastor doesn't embrace plurality of eldership, then there's probably a space where you need to have a conversation with him. And at the same time, that conversation um, is not a conversation where you enter into with the five reasons why he should be a plural, you know, embrace plurality of eldership and he's an idiot if he doesn't. Like, that's not the space, you know, but you really enter into, like, in a submissive way, because he is your elder, if you've submitted to um, him, and to present that concern um, and, and let it be. And then at the same time, you practice plurality uh, within the circles that you are engaged in in leadership in the church, um, whether that's uh, in your community group um, or in the discipleship that you're doing um, or in uh, any other space that you're ministering in, so... Yeah. Uh, so the question is, um, since this is a global network, has there been a space to connect um, maybe globally um, to, to form this, this type of brotherhood? And, and I would yes, actually. Um, there is uh, a guy planting in Suffolk in uh, UK, and uh, it's a small context, a very hardened context to the gospel. And for us, um, it's just a video call. Uh, and, and what he's facing is is similar, and it's the he needs to 
stick to it and stay there and put the roots down and be patient and continue to minister the gospel. And he is uh, about three years down the road from where we are. And so, uh, honestly, uh, we just had, we've had this amazing conversation um, encouraging one another through very similar difficulties. And so, yeah, we were able to identify that. I kind of came out of the blue and we had the conversation like, wow, we're in similar context. We were able to encourage one another, pray for one another. And uh, really, uh, at that point in time, that helped me uh, as I was actually considering the possibility of just, I've had enough. Uh, he was very encouraging to say, no, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to continue on in this work. So, yeah. So the question is, did we grow into this relationship or was it just kind of like right off the bat? So I'll just start with an answer and then let you answer and then I've got a few more thoughts. I did not like him when I first met him. Can, can I just say this is very unusual. So every other relationship I've had has not been where they don't like me. I'm very lovable. So if you would like to answer some of that. or if you, So... He actually came to the exchange for one year before going and moving down to Howell. And even during that time, I just really struggled with liking him. Um, and and so just just to be honest. It was there, mutual. So it was, yeah. And so there was just, there was, this was not like out of nowhere. But I think as we were, if I'm remembering correctly, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. But as we were moving in the direction of he's heading in that that direction, we were starting to see a little bit more of my co-planter was needing to pull back. And we just saw there's a need here. And we knew, even though some of the personality stuff was a little bit like, eh, there was a, uh, there was an alignment of vision in how we wanted to see the church planted. There was a theological alignment. And just as we, we, we just intentionally, and I think Ben was the one who did this, where he was just reaching out and saying, hey, let's get some time together. Let's get together with our families and just spend some time together. And it was through that we both saw the need, and, and he was kind of like the guy that had the opportunity presenting itself of, of who that could be. Um, and we spent some time together, and then it was through that that we started to see, okay, we can actually, there's something that's, that, that, that could be here. And it really grew out of that into a brotherhood and, and friendship. And, and I, I like him now. He's a, he's a great guy. I wouldn't add anything to that, so. No. Well, I think that we have one minute, less than a minute. So, uh, guys, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I hope that this was helpful for you. So, thank you. So I think we have a break now.